welcome to the Genesis Church Podcast. Well, welcome to Genesis. How are you this morning? Anybody love the cold weather? Anybody? Anybody? Anybody just absolutely hate it? Did you convince yourself to get out of bed this morning? You were like, okay, God, you better bless me now. Um, well, hey, I, uh, I'm excited today. Uh, we continue this, this, uh, this walk through the scripture. And so I have the opportunity today to do that uh, with you. But I want to I um, tell you, back October, um, I think it was like October 16th, um, I got a phone call from a dear, dear friend of mine. And um, their, their son had just gone in to the hospital with his wife to deliver a baby. And um, they called me and um, they said things did not go well. And the little baby that was born, um, it, it was a very difficult situation. This little baby was born and for 24 minutes, um, they, they literally didn't know if he was going to make it. Um, this little boy, his, his name is Daniel. And his family, the Michi family, they actually attend our church. The entire family was in our first service. And um, Daniel was, uh, was brought into this world traumatically. And uh, they actually had to do, for seven minutes, they had to do CPR on this little boy. And I'll never forget walking into the hospital um, the very first time. And um, I walked up, and it's one of the one of the only cool time it is to be a pastor. Uh, at the hospital, they let you do just basically whatever you want in Jesus' name. And so um, I showed up in shirts and a t-shirt, and I was like, I'm the pastor. They look at me like, for real? And I said, well, I left my priest collar in the car. And um, so, so I walked in, and I saw Mike, and I saw Angie, the grandparents, and, and I saw Mark, and I saw Jessica. And then I looked into the room, and I saw this little boy. And I thought, no kid should have to enter like that. And I'll never forget the conversations that we were having about Daniel. And it was not a conversation of what will his life be like. The conversation was literally, will he have a life? The bar was so low. The bar was just live. And it was so, so amazing for, for the next two weeks Every single morning, I would leave my house, I would go to the hospital, and I would walk in, and I would see this, this baby. And Daniel, um, I'd pray for him, I'd pray over him, I'd pray with his parents, and I'd look at his little face, and I'd say, I love you, buddy. I love you. Just hold on, you're a fighter. Just hold on, you're a fighter. And uh, last night, Mike and Angie and Mark and Jessica brought this little boy to my house. And uh, he, uh, as of now, they cannot find one thing wrong with that kid. It, uh, it is an absolute miracle. He, uh, he's so cute. The other one's not bad either, but, um, <laughs> but he's so cute. And it was funny because my son, JJ, you know, he's six and a half. He always corrects me. And um, he, he was playing with this little boy, and it was great. And then, you know, he started crying, and so JJ did what all people do is they give them to their mom. And, uh, and when they left the house last night, JJ looks at me, and he says, Dad, I want a brother. Oh my 
<laughs> Attitude changed real quick. I was like, listen, bro. <laughs> bro. That ship has sailed, son. He says, what do you mean? I just want a brother. <laughs> Too bad. Enjoy your sister. I said, I barely wanted her. Um, so, uh, so he always does that, you know. And uh, it was funny to me because I told him last night, I was like, bro, I didn't, have a, I didn't have a brother growing up. I had two sisters. I was sandwiched in between two sisters. My older sister uh, came through the foster care uh, by my biological parents, and she was actually adopted twice, once by my biological parents and once by my grandparents who adopted all of us. Story for a different day. Um, her name was Angel. She named herself. When she was two, she didn't have a name. She was not an angel. She used to beat the crap out of me. <laughs> and she was littler than I am. Um, now I had a younger sister, but, you know, the only brother that I really ever had growing up was Tim. But see, Tim had a brother. See, Tim has a brother named Tad. Real name. So Tim, some of y'all don't know that Tim's 45, right? Pastor Tim, for those of you that maybe know our, our lead pastor, he's been my lifelong best friend since, I don't know, fourth, fifth grade, something. So uh, he's 45. I'm a year younger than him. He was 45 a couple days ago. I'll be 44 at the end of this month. And then he had a little brother named Tad who was a year younger than me. So I was sandwiched in between these two brothers. And let me tell you something. They were awful. I'm telling you, these two brothers, Tim and Tad, bro, I'm, I'm, it, was, it was wild. We used to do this thing um, at their house. They had, they had, his, his dad had poured this concrete pad. And I don't know how big it was, but it, the concrete, I think, is still there, but all the, the fence that we put around it is gone. But they, we used to play this thing called dunk ball. And it, it's where you would, you got a real basketball hoop, and you put it out there, but, and then you'd lower the rim to like eight and a, like eight and a half, but Tim was short. So like eight feet. And then you would just proceed to play each other and you would dunk all over each other. And it was amazing growing up because I was bigger. So I was always dunking on Tim and trying to wrap my legs around him and his brother would do this and I'd dunk on him. And then it was all fine until Tim dunked on Tad. Then you get your popcorn ready. They would literally go to blows. I'm talking full-blown punches. And here I'm sitting there going, this is brothers? This is awesome. I mean, it's great. And then they, 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 they'd stop, and then Tad would dunk on Tim, and then they'd go fighting, and then Tim's mom, some of y'all maybe met her. Her name is Teresa. We used to call her Mother Teresa. She was very, very close to the Mother Teresa you all know. But see, Mother Teresa, she, 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 she would be like, in the window in the house. And it's almost like she just knew what was going on. So Tim would get like three or four punches off Tad. Would get, and then you'd hear this. You'd be like, boys, y'all knock it off. I said, is that your dad? He said, no, that was mama. <laughs> they quit fighting. So growing up, that's all I ever knew about brothers. That's all I ever knew. And so today what I get to do is I get to talk to you about the first group of brothers in the Bible. Tim and Tad, Cain and Abel. The good news is, Tim did not kill Tad. Tad is still alive. He's a pastor in North Carolina. 
But we look at this and we look at Cain and Abel. And, and today I get the opportunity to share with you the first story of the brothers. And I'm excited because as we walk through the Bible together, if you didn't hear Pastor Johannes, our German pastor last week, if you didn't hear him, I tell you, go back. He talked about the fall and sin and the snake and how we're not supposed to talk to the snake. We're supposed to talk to God and did a phenomenal job. And so what I get to do this week is I get to walk you through the story of Cain and Abel. And so I want you to do this for me. If, um, if you scan that, you're going to get nothing because I didn't do any notes. Because I literally rewrote my message like 10 times this week. About 30 minutes before the first service, I finished. The reason why is because the German stayed at my house. And the German is a wealth of information and knowledge. And so we would talk, and I'd be like, man, this is great. So I'd write it. And then the next night, we'd get together, and he'd talk, and I'm like, bro, that's even better. And then I'd ask him questions, and he asked me questions. So I'm sorry. You're just going to have to like go old school. You have to write it yourself, take pictures of the screen. I don't know. But, but if you scan that, it's, it's pointless. So just you can get rid of that. Okay, so put the Bible verse up here. This is the story of Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel starts in Genesis 4. It says, Adam made love to his wife Eve. Let's go. And she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Now, that's just fascinating to me. She doesn't say a baby. She doesn't even say a son. She literally says, with the help of the Lord, I brought forth a man. And then in verse 2, she says, later she gave birth to his brother Abel. <laughs> Isn't that how it always is with the second? <laughs> you know, it's like he was a man and then there was Abel. Now, Abel kept the flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother, Abel, and killed him. You know what's fascinating to me as I read this story? What's fascinating is that the very first child born, with the help of God, turned out to be a murderer. I mean, like, 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 like the very first one, the one that you would expect to be the example turned out to be a murderer. And for me, I've heard this story my whole life. And I've always re read it and I've heard it and I've heard people preach on it. And when they preach a message on Cain and Abel, they talk about the murder. And so as I was preparing this week and as Johannes and I were spending time together and we were talking and talking about different aspects of it and what it means and why does it mean that and how does it mean that, I began to ask myself the question, okay, yeah, we know that he was a murderer, but my question is this, what drove him to commit murder? I mean, when you think about it, like when you really break it down, I begin to ask myself the question, did he want to kill Abel? 
I mean, no one had ever murdered before. Did he, did he mean to do it? I mean, like he had never seen a dead body. Think about that. So here Cain kills Abel. Did he, did he mean, to, did he just want to punch him? Did he want to smack him? Were they just going to fight? And so you begin to ask myself and I begin to think, but what drove him to that? And so then I begin to think, well, let's stop focusing on the murder and let's ask the question, what drove him to commit murder? Because whether he meant to or not, he did. And so when I think about what drove him to commit murder, I just believe in my heart that the reason why all has to do with what the true story is about, and that's the sacrifice. Because before the sacrifice, there was no murder. And what do I mean by that? Well, in Genesis 4, it says, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil. Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked, it says, the Lord looked with favor on Abel. But on Cain, his offering, he did not look with favor. So the sacrifice is what caused the receiving of the sacrifice, how it was received. Both were brought, how they were received. Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. So what I want to do today is I want to talk for a few moments, not about the murder, but I want to talk about the sacrifice. Because if the sacrifice is what drove to the murder, let's look at the root problem. So the root problem was the sacrifice. So I want to give you a couple of truths about the sacrifice. First and foremost, I think this is very interesting. God did not ask for or require the sacrifice. We have to be very careful that we don't put things in the Bible that aren't there. The same way we don't take things out that are there. When you look at this, you see that God did not ask for this. It is not as if God stood up and said, bring me a sacrifice. I need an offering. No. Okay, so, so then you ask the question, why did they do it? If God didn't ask for it, if God didn't require it, why did they do it? The reason they chose the sacrifice was, listen, here it is. It was their desire and need to satisfy their heart for fellowship with God. It was the desire that both of them had to satisfy the desire of their heart. So it was a heart sacrifice. It was a sacrifice that revealed what was in their heart. Two other things that I want to share. The first one is this. They did not offer this sacrifice for the forgiveness of sin. You'd be surprised how many times growing up I learned or was taught that the reason why God accepted Abel's and not Cain's is because Abel's was a blood sacrifice. It has nothing to do with the story. It's actually not even in there. Because it's not about the type of sacrifice, meaning blood, meat, animal, as opposed to fruit. That's not why. Again, it's the position of the heart. So the offerings were actually an expression of their gratitude to God, to whom they owed all that they had. So when you look at the, the truth about the sacrifice, is the truth about the sacrifice is the sacrifice was an offering of gratitude, where they say, God, thank you, because without you, I would have nothing. 
the truth about the sacrifice. So what's the difference? What are the differences about the sacrifice? First of all, we know this. We just read this. Cain brought a sacrifice of some of the fruit of the soil. Okay? Abel brought the fat portions of the first one of his flock. So let's pause for a moment. Let's really look at what this actually means. Is it meat versus fruit? No. What it is, is it's some of the fruit of the soil. Let me explain to you why this is important. Because when you sow into the ground, your hope and your prayer is that you will one day what? Reap. The sole reason you sow is so you can reap. So for Cain, when he's sowing into the ground, he is waiting for the harvest. The first fruits that come from the harvest are the best fruits because you've been waiting so long for the fruit. And what you do is you take and receive those first fruits because you know that they are there. Your goal is to feed your family. Your goal is to feed the people. So therefore, when you take those first fruits, they are the ones that are there. You hope there will be more, but you don't know if there will be more. So when we talk about the first fruits, the first fruits, when you give that, that's a faith offering because you're saying, God, I'm giving you what I just got, the first. And God, I pray that you will provide the rest. Do you see what I'm saying? You don't give out of the, the last, you give out of the first. It's easy sometimes to give out of the last because you're already full. Everyone's already been fed. All of your needs have been met. But when you learn to give out of the first, you have to change how you live your life. So when you look at it, it's not what he gave as far as the actual fruit. It's the type of fruit, meaning like it won't his first. Then you have Abel. Abel did not just bring the firstborn which the same principle applies. He did not bring the firstborn. And I'm not going to get into all the theology, theology about it and everything, but it doesn't just mean, it, it means a lot. Right? It means a lot. So that right there would be, the, would be all he needed. But instead of just doing that, he actually brought the fat portions, which means it's the very best of the first. So he didn't just give the first, he gave the very best of the first. So what you begin to see is you begin to see what was inside of Cain, what was inside of Abel as they gave. So God did not, accept, did not require, did not ask for what was given. But as you give it to God, he sees what is given. And he looks at Cain and he says, hey, listen, what's next? He looks at Cain and he says, your sacrifice is just to appease me. It's not really faith-filled. You're not really given to me out of like the faith of what has to happen if you give this. You're given to me and you're already full. You're already full, but you've given to me. Okay, I see. And then what does he say for Abel? Abel's sacrifice came from the depth of his heart, saying, God, I have nothing without you. Therefore, I give you the very best of the very best that I have to give. And so the Cain and Abel story is so much more than a murder that takes place. It's about the sacrifice that was given. 
And it's a sacrifice that was given with faith, out of faith, through faith. And if you're not careful, what happens is we don't begin to see that if we don't dive into that. And what I love about what we're going to be doing this year as we walk through the scripture is oftentimes we will take a scripture that is found at this point and we will directly tie it and link it to a scripture that was found in this point. Because God's story is so much more than a verse that you read. It's the story behind it. And so what I love about this is if you look in Hebrews chapter 11, Abel is mentioned. This is my favorite. How do I know it was a faith offering? Because the word of God says so. Hebrews says, by faith, Abel brought God a better offering. Then he says, by faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And then lastly, in the same verse, three times, it says, and by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. faith. Maybe the story of Cain and Abel is about faith. Maybe the lesson in the story is that faith is building on what you know is here so that you can reach what you know is there. But when the position of our heart is so concerned about what may be there, we don't build on what is here. See, Abel didn't care about tomorrow because he knew what he was doing today. Some of us don't know what the future holds. And for some reason, we forget who holds the future. And it's very important for us to realize that a life lived by faith looks different than those around us. So faith, faith is what is, is needed. Faith is the lesson. Faith is the story. So what are the lessons in the sacrifice? We learn the truth. We learn the difference. What are the lessons? I want to share with you today three lessons that I believe are the most important for us to learn in this story. The first is the easy one. I mean, the easy one to say. It's the most common one. We have to learn to bring God your best. I have to learn to bring God my best. The fat portions of the firstborn. So many times in our lives, we do not bring God our best. We don't. We bring God the rest. Think about it like this. Think about when do you spend your time with God? Is it after everything is completed when you have enough time? Is it in, in the evening? When you're the most tired? It is, it, is it in the morning when you can barely see? Whatever it is, it's not a time that you give God. That's not what's important. Because they both gave. It's, is it the best time? Is it when you're the freshest? Is it when your mind is the clearest? Is it when you're not interrupted by the world living around you? When do you give God your best? I love it. There's a gentleman sitting in the, in the, in the first service. His name's Alki. And um, Alki 
It's from the Netherlands, and Alki builds a lot of stuff for us. If we ever need anything built, Tim always says, we got to call Alki. If you're ever into our ministry center, you'll see some of the things that Alki built. But most, most people that have been coming to Genesis for a while, or if you've gone back and watched some of our services, um, we had a yoke that was built for us for a series that we did and a, kind of a year that we did. And so um, it was so cool because Tim said, hey, Alki, I need, you to, I, need, I need a yoke. Do you have one? And he says, no, but I can build you one. And Tim said, okay, that'd be awesome. And so, you know, we were expecting just, you know, a yoke, just like, you know, a yoke, like if, you know, me and you did it, <laughs> you know, it's like we Google something and then we try to chase something and we use tools that aren't designed to build it, you know, and so it looks, it's, it's like, it looks good from afar, you know? <laughs> so Alki shows up with this yoke. And if you've ever been to our ministry center, it's hanging on our wall when you walk in. I'm telling you, it is unreal. It is one of the most beautiful pieces of art, because that's what it is, I've ever seen. It is polished. It is, I mean, there, I can't find a flaw on it. You know that Alki does not make anything with screws or with nails. He drills holes and puts dowels. He makes, and it, so he shows up with this thing, and I was not there, and Tim calls me. He's like, bro, can you FaceTime? I was like, yeah, why? He goes, do you guys see this yoke? If you've ever been to our ministry center, you might have set up one of the wooden tables. Those were also built by Alki. Alki takes so much time because, you know, at the end of the day, when Alki, and he tells us this, when he's building that, he's not building it for Chad. He's not building it for Tim. He's not even building it for Genesis. He views what he does as an offering to God. And he builds the very best. Let me ask you, when was the last time you really gave your very best? When was the last time you gave your best to the relationships in your life? When was the last time you really, truly gave your best to your children? God requires our best. He asked for our best. He didn't even want this sacrifice per se. But if you're going to give it, give your best. Give your best. One of my biggest pet peeves is when you're talking to somebody and you're talking to them. And all they're doing is looking for the next person to talk to. You're like, bro, am I not? Hello, hello, down here, hello. Usually it's up here, but especially if you're talking to Tim. Um, but isn't that annoying? Because it's like, dude, just give me your best. I don't need a lot, but when I do have it, I want you. How about, how about quality time, not just time? Some of your spouses are dying and begging for quality time, not just time. The second thing is this. Not only does he want our best, but he wants us to always pursue righteousness. Pursue righteousness. What does that mean? Simply means that we are always a work in progress. We have not arrived. But so many people live their lives and they go, I'm saved. I have eternal security. I'm golden. I'm good. I'm going to go do whatever I want with whoever I want because at the end of the day, he will never pluck you out of his hand. And you live like that. And there's no righteous pursuit that you're doing. My God, my God. And God calls us to pursue righteousness. Johannes, when he was here, it's so funny because the language barrier is, is so cool. And, and some of the translation stuff is awful. But when you're talking about a word, and we were talking about this word pursue. And so he pulls up Google Translate. And he actually in English puts pursue. And then it shows up in German. And when he says it, he, oh, that's good. Oh, I like that one. I like that. It's good. It's good. Pursue, pursue, you know? And I said, yeah. He goes, you like that? I said, yeah. He goes, because it's not something you sit around and wait for. It's something you go after. Right. 
And how do you get it? It's perfected over time through what? Our obedience. Our obedience to him. And it slowly reveals itself as evidence of our faith. Bring God your best. Cain and Abel is is about sacrifice. Bring God your best. Pursue righteousness. And then the third one is this. Allow your life to continue to speak. Everybody listen to me right now. Listen. Everyone's life speaks. Everyone. There's a quote. It says, share the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. What does your life say? Like when people talk about you, what does your life say? If your life is speaking, what is it saying? I'll tell you what Cain says. Cain's life speaks to us. It speaks of jealousy. It speaks of envy. It speaks of murder. What does your life say? Abel's life speaks. His speaks of faith. His speaks of example. His speaks of love. I have the opportunity to do a lot of funerals. Some are just straight funerals. The goal is that we call them celebration of life services. But I refuse to call a celebration of life service a funeral, and I refuse to call a funeral a celebration of life. I pray one day when Tim does my funeral, because let's be real, he's probably going to live longer than me. I pray he can celebrate me. I pray that my life will have spoken in a way that is an example. I pray that when people talk about me, they will say he always gave his best. He always pursued righteousness. He was filled with love. He was stunningly good looking. (laughs) But you, you know what I mean? Your life speaks. Your life speaks. You see, the problem with the sacrifice is that Cain was relying on his position of his earthly family to get him favor with God. Cain showed up and thought, I'm the firstborn. I'll just bring whatever. My position on this earth is what finds me favor with God. But in reality, what we learn is that it's the position of your heart that gives you favor with God. When we learn to change the position of our heart, we will always find favor with God. For many of us, the problem that we have is that the position that we live our life is wrong. It's the wrong position. The position of our heart is wrong. So very simple, how do we change the position of our heart? By doing the things that I just mentioned from Hebrews 11.4. We have to bring God our best. We have to pursue righteousness. We have to let your life speak faith, obedience, and love. And when you learn to change the position of your heart and you begin to do those things, you begin to find favor with God. And if you don't, Genesis chapter four, verse seven says, but if you do not do what is right, if you don't bring me your best, if you don't pursue righteousness, if you don't allow your life to speak of love and faith and obedience and example, 
Sin is crouching at your door. It is ready to destroy you. Sin destroyed Abel because the position of his head was downcast. Because the position in his heart was anger. What position are you living at? What is the position of your heart? Because sin is crouching at your door. It's gnawing. It's looking for an opportunity to destroy you. Last week, Johannes had a snake on stage. And he talked about how you're not supposed to talk to the snake. You talk to God. Sin here is crouching. They say it's like a lion that wants to rip your head off. I couldn't find a lion. So I found a rat. So today I want to say sin is like a rat. We all know rats gnaw, right? We all know that rats destroy things, right? They claw and they gnaw. Sin is like a rat. Sin is trying to destroy you. And if you let it, it will. There's a pilot that used to do a lot of things in Africa. He would help villages all over the continent. He had a little plane and he'd fly it around. He had landed that plane in a little village. He was out of the plane. He was helping the people in the village. And unbeknownst to him, a rat snuck into the cockpit, wedged itself in the front of this little plane. He didn't know. He got in, shut the door, took off, and headed to his next destination. And as he was headed to the next destination, he was at his cruising altitude, and all of a sudden he began to hear this gnawing in the front of the plane. And he gnawed and it gnawed and it gnawed, and then he heard like some chewing. And he began to think, what is that? So he began to look, and he tried to find it. He couldn't see anything but he heard it so loud. Then he realized the place that I just left, no, it can't be. (laughs) No. The place he just left was overrun with these bush rats. He thought, there's no way. There's a rat in the front of my plane. So as he drove and flew in this plane, he's flying and he's thinking to himself, no way, there's no, that rat's gonna destroy something. If that rat is in the front of my plane and he's gnawing at something, he begins to chew something. If he chews the wrong thing, he said, this plane is going down. And so he began to have fear. He couldn't reach it. He could hear it. He knew it was there. And as he was flying, he was flying in fear. And then he began to ask himself, he said, okay, I got to land fast. And so he looked up for a place to land. And all over the, he was trying to find a place and all he saw were trees and thick forests. And he thought, there's no place for me to land. I don't have time to turn around and go back. I'm too far away. And he told himself as he was sitting in that cockpit all alone, listening to that rat gnaw and chew, he knew what was happening. And as he sat there, he thought, okay, don't don't freak out. Don't, Don't freak out. Think, think, remember, remember, 
remember. And so he began to recall things that he was learning, things that he learned when he was in flight school, things that he learned growing up, things that people had told him. And he said, there's got to be something. And so all of a sudden it hit him, literally. And he began to remember that there are certain animals that can't survive at certain altitudes. That they need more air than a human does. And so he began to pray and he began to say, God, God, I pray that this rat needs less air than me. So he thought I couldn't land. So what he did was he sat there and he was overcome with faith. And he said, God, I'm gonna do what I know to do. And so as a pilot, he sat there on that yoke and he just began to pull it up. And as he pulled it up, his plane began to rise. The higher that his plane got in the altitude, the quieter the gnawing of that rat got. And he reached an altitude that he thought was about right. He went a little bit higher. As he got high enough, all of a sudden the gnawing completely stopped. And a few moments later, he heard a thud. No more gnawing. He cruised at that altitude for a period of time until he got to his next location. He landed. When he landed, he walked to the front of his plane, he opened up the hatch. And there lies a dead rat. See, what I've learned is that the definition of altitude is the position of height. And for the problem for many of us is that we live our lives at too low a spiritual altitude or position, so we are plagued by sin that gnaws at us. Some of you are letting a rat in the cockpit take you down. And all God says is, listen, change your position. Pull up on the yoke. Let's get to an altitude where the rat can't survive. Let's get to an altitude where nobody can survive but us. Don't let a rat in your cockpit bring your life down. Change the position of your heart. The closer you get to God, the less you hear the gnawing. And I'm here to tell you that the benefits on the way up are just as good as the benefit when you arrive. Because the gnawing will get less and less when you get closer and closer to where God wants you to live. What is the position of your heart? Because the story of Cain and Abel is not about a murder. It's about a faith offering. Bring your best. Always pursue righteousness. And let your life speak of faith, hope, love, obedience, example. Last week we talked about don't talk to the snake. This week I tell you, don't let a rat in the cockpit destroy your life. Let's change our position. Would you pray with me this morning? God, this morning I come before you and I, got, I say that it's not about me, it's all about you. And God, my desire is that I would bring you my best. God, that I would pursue righteousness, that I would not live at a low spiritual altitude, but God, that I would rise. God, I would raise my head. I would raise my heart to you. God, I pray that through obedience, God, I would find you. 
God, I pray for those in this room today, God, that they're living at the wrong altitude. God, they're more concerned about the position they have on this earth than the position in their heart towards you. And so, God, I pray that they would change their position. God, they would seek you with the promise that we will find you. God, I pray that we will know that there is faith in you. And God, when there is faith, there can be no fear because your promises reign true. God, when we need them, may we rely on them. May we never forget them. And so God, I say today, thank you for never failing us. God, may we learn to walk in truth with you. In Jesus' name.